And now we have a special treat for you. Yes, that's right. We told you we were going to be off for this week, but I actually have some content here for you because we're going to have a wonderful conversation with... Daniel Solis, art director by day, game designer by night. That's right, Daniel Solis. And uh, if you are not following Daniel Solis on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing. Apparently, you're not serious about game design at the moment. (laughs) I don't know if I am either. <laughs> Before we get into this, I just want to let you know that, you know, uh, and our audience, of course, this is very off the cuff. <laughs> Daniel and I planned uh, this conversation like within like a day or two's time and really didn't plan the conversation is, is pretty strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to let you know, Daniel, that if you get nothing else out of this, I told my co-host about our conversation. He went on your website, and I believe he ordered a T-shirt right away. Oh, sweet. Awesome. <laughs> so if you get nothing else out of this, you got a shirt order. Awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm always up for some T-shirt sales. <laughs> and we'll get into all of those wonderful things here in a second. We'll talk to Daniel about everything he's got going on, and I do mean everything. Oh, dear. <laughs> but first, well, we actually have a couple questions that we usually ask all of our guests. So the first one would be, uh, what makes you a geek? Oh gosh, what makes me a geek? I suppose it's my enthusiasm for my, my one little thing that I really love. And I imagine that's sort of an indicator of any kind of geekdom is just that that unbridled enthusiasm about that one particular thing that you get so excited about that you can go on and on about it without even realizing that no one else is kind of listening to you. <laughs> and what is that one little thing? Oh, uh, board game, board games, game design. Uh, <laughs> that, that's my thing. Yeah. I, I mean, like you said, if you follow my Twitter feed, you can see that's pretty much what you're going to be getting uh, all day. Yeah. I think you, your intro kind of answered this, but what do you do professionally? Actually, for the, it's kind of an interesting thing. Maybe not interesting. I don't know. It's it's always an interesting conversation, Daniel. <laughs> well, for the past eight years, I, I was actually in the uh, the ad business. I was a uh, graphic designer uh, at first, right out of college, and then gradually I got promoted up the ranks until I was uh, creative director at this uh, ad agency. And being anywhere these days for eight years is kind, it's kind of a big deal, especially if it's right out of college. And and honestly, I kind of like felt you know I was going to probably be there for a long time, but uh, eventually I decided, you know what, I'm getting distracted because I'm, I'm really, really excited about game design. I've been blogging about it for a number of years. I have been working as a freelance graphic designer for the gaming industry for, uh, for as long as I had been in the ad business, possibly even longer, mainly laying out, uh, role-playing game books, but uh, gradually branching out into, uh, designing cards and, uh, and other materials for, uh, board games. So once I realized, all right, this passion is really taking up most of my heart, most of my brain. And also I just didn't really uh, feel like the, uh, the ad business was, was for me anymore. I decided to uh, make the big jump this year. So professionally, I still call myself an art director just because that's what really pays the bills. <laughs> now my clients are the ones that I actually want. Now I'm actually doing graphic design for the, uh, for example, the Firefly role-playing game. A couple of board games. Uh, occasionally, I'll be uh, tapped for tapped to do layout for um, for role playing game books that are being kickstarted, and uh, and I'll just be kind of signed on to that. 
So that's kind of what I do. It's a, it's a little bit of everything. So you've been able to transition. You've, you've gone from, uh, you know, the, the real world work that the rest of us still do <laughs> and yeah. become a rock star in the uh, gaming industry. <laughs> no, come on, Daniel. <laughs> you, you said it. I, I didn't. No, it's it's very cool, and it's a it's a great story and great transition. You can follow along with Daniel's progress on his blog as well, uh, which we will share here in a few. Yeah, I actually got actually one of the thing one of the instigating factors of, of my departure from my from my long term job was when the CEO realized that I uh, that I was tweeting so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a bad sign. <laughs> okay, some hard-hitting questions All right. off the top of my head. You ready? Yes. Are you actually a robot programmed to uh, create all the known games in the universe, Daniel? <laughs> if I were, would I know? Hmm. Good. Is this a Cylon sort of situation? True, true. Would I get the or, signal? Or are you maybe an, invol- an evolved human that uh, has been you know, sent back in time to teach the rest of us how to create board games? Is that possible? Oh, God, I hope not, because <laughs> I think we're all in trouble if I'm teaching anyone how to make a board game. Alien? Possibly a symbiote, if, if you, if by some oh, okay. estimates of my hair. Like, <laughs> well, that's on here, too. I, I have a question here. Uh, who's more creative, you or your hair? <laughs> uh, so, some would say my hair. <laughs> and uh, finally, in this, this hard-hitting journalism, do you ever sleep? Oh, gosh, uh, not enough. Not enough. I can uh, honestly believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I, I really don't sleep enough. I, I'm. No matter how late I stay up, I'll always wake up pretty much at seven a.m. Usually with some crazy ass game idea, and I'll have to tweet it or blog it, and and then I can get on with my day and grab a walk if I can, just to just to shake the cobwebs out. <laughs> all right, now to now to get on to, the, to some reality here. First of all, what is your blog? Where can people find you if they want to follow your blog? Uh, they can find me at danielsolis.com, D-A-N-I-E-L-S-O-L-I-S. And, of course, everything that we talk about will be in the show notes when this gets released as well. And how can they follow you on Twitter? I am also at danielsolis, D-A-N-I-E-L. S-O-L-I-S. And he's a very active in both arenas. Correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously I'm on the outside looking in. But I think the way you your process or the way you tend to go about things or the, the way you share information, it seems to me like you're a very organic designer. I'd say that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that you really, you really, part of your process seems to be the interaction, the feedback, and the the conversation around a game as much as designing and the mechanics is that yeah. is that fair? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'm not the kind of designer that 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 kind of works in isolation in, in a lofty or or underground in a basement or something. Yeah. I'm constantly amazed at at the stuff that you're throwing out, especially like I said on your blog and whatnot. You can basically I, I see it as one of three things. You're you're very inspiring to a lot of ga- of game designers because you're constantly throwing out ideas, which in turn makes other people think of ideas or think of oh yeah that's cool, but what about this? Uh, which again is that whole conversation thing we were talking about. Or you exhaust the hell out of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> because I get tired just seeing how many ideas you come up with or, you know, for truly hobby game, game, uh, game designers like myself who, who basically barely get time to design now because of, well, because of the beauty of being able to talk to people like you now, I, I 
focus more on podcasting, but I just know how much I don't design anymore <laughs> after reading some of your stuff. Oh, I mean, to, I mean, to, to be totally fair, I, I honestly, I, I feel like I don't design that much. A lot of what I do is just kind of spitballing ideas, uh, just, you know, coming up with a little mechanic here, a little theme idea here. And, and I rarely get the chance to actually play test even more than a fraction of, it, of all the stuff that I post up. Because I know those time constraints, that's kind of why I'm so open about it. Because I realize, all right, I'm never going to have enough time to fully develop these these ideas. So here, go ahead, have them. And your latest one, if I remember right, is a mashup between Bonanza and Seven Wonders. And, <laughs> yeah, how, and how to make that work, how to make those mechanics kind of mesh together. And you basically kicked out, here's a starting point. Yeah, and here's what I already see that could potentially be improved here, and and that kind of stuff, and and that's the kind of stuff that you throw out quite a bit. Yeah, those kind of very very loose ideas. Yeah, that's 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 where I go first. So, do I mean, do you do that because you've got you got so much wrapped up in your head that you just need to let it loose and hopefully maybe see somebody else fly with it, or are you really is 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 it overall your whole process is. Let me write this down. Let me start the conversation. Let me see if there's something I want to continue with. I mean, it's, yeah, it's more more of the latter. Um, if I come up with an idea, the first place I'll go is usually Twitter because I have enough followers and people who, who are honestly just more experienced in board games than I am who are able to tell me, all right, that idea has been done. And if so, that doesn't necessarily stop me from pursuing it further, but it at least lets me know the context and maybe even gets me a chance to actually play some of these other games that play with some of the ideas that I was exploring a little bit. So it's, I don't think it's a bad thing if I, you know, kind of reinvent the wheel a little bit, but the important thing is that I realize that I'm reinventing the wheel as soon as possible. Then I can know, all right, this is this kind of wheel. Maybe I can do this other kind of wheel. Maybe I can do a square wheel and maybe it won't work, but at least I'll I'll give it a shot and try something else. One thing I wanted to discuss with you, you kind of started with, so I was going to ask you kind of what you feel. Okay, let, let's say you, you've got something that you're serious about. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, let's maybe use uh, Bell of the Ball as an example because that's coming up here. Dice Hate Me Games is going to kickstart it next year, right? Early next year? Actually, uh, they're going to be releasing it next year. It's going to oh. be on It's going to be kickstarted uh, later this summer. Oh, okay. So that's coming to Kickstarter soon. And this is a game that, if I remember properly has gone through quite a bit of transition from beginning to the point where where Dice Hate Me picked it up, correct? Oh yeah. So, like, All right, so so here's an idea that you're serious about. In general or or typically, once you get serious about an idea, maybe you've thrown it out and and you've seen, "Oh yeah, this maybe does have legs." Do you have kind of a process that you like to follow? It's evolved over time, but it, these days, at least the way I am right now, it kind of breaks down into into um Loosely, I'll come up with a complete rule set that is actually testable and and playable, uh, and that'll be like prototype A as an Apple. And from there, I'll test it, and I'll try to test it at least 10 times. I don't always hit that mark necessarily, but I'll at least try to t- have it play tested 10 times, either with me in the room or maybe maybe handing it off to, to a local group or something. And usually, I want to I wanna make sure that it's play tested with different players not just the same group over and over again. So I don't get this, this problem of a group think and also the, the challenge of uh, having the same group, finding the same group and kind of having them indulge my, you know, my passions too much. And I don't want to impose on their generosity too much, uh, which is always, a, always a challenge when you're uh, frequently play testing. So once that uh, prototype is done, then I'll actually take it back to, to my little lab and I'll tinker with it, revise it, you know, kind of work on the mechanics 
And then I'll come up with prototype B, and that prototype is what I'll actually put up online generally. So it's had local play for a little while, and then I'll put it up online for uh, for more blind playtesting for people who I have I don't know, uh, and I'm not in the room, so I can really get a sense of how how the thing actually shakes out when it hits the road. Once that's done, and, and I have received enough playtest reports, I'll take it back, revise it, and make prototype C and then test that locally. And once that's done, I'll put out prototype D, which goes out to the public, and it keeps alternating that way between local and internet prototypes, and uh, and it keeps going back and forth. At least that's that's how Bell the Ball sort of ended up uh, in its process. So started off last year with prototype A, and then right when Dice Hate Me signed it, it was at prototype P. Okay. You track each prototype and what changes you've made and and all of that good stuff along the way. I mean, you you know it went from A to P. You know you've you've made that many changes along the way. Yep. Okay. I kind of picked Bell because again, this is one that you were very open about communicating through the entire process from you know where it came from to you know dice hate me picking it up. Is that usually part of your process again? Is that that or, organic conversation side of things, e- even after you've gotten serious about an, an idea? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm I'm not able to improve on on the game unless people play it, and I can't let get people to play it unless I tell them about it. So it kind of it's to me it's a no brainer to, to share all this stuff, and and I'm often surprised at how reluctant some people are to share the share their own ideas and, and how much concern they have that kind of for my sake, they're worried about my ideas getting stolen or something. And, and I just got to keep on reminding them, like, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be where I am right now if I wasn't as open with my ideas as I am and kind of hiding them and, and, and being very secretive about them and not, you know, kind of guarding them jealously is not going to let those games improve. And it's not going to uh, do anything for my marketing. You know, it, I got, I got to talk, I got to, I got to show these things and I got to get them played. I constantly see it all the time, and it, it's every few days. I think somebody comes in and starts talking about what can I do to protect this, it, and it's they're not even to the point of it being made or ready <laughs> to be made. Or yeah. I mean, there there's still a lot of testing and and tweaking that needs to be done, but it's not. Um, how can I get that part done? It's always the how can I make sure nobody else sees this or takes it. Yeah, it, it's kind of refreshing to see your process. And, you know, I've followed along with some of the process on some of the various things that you've worked on. And, uh, yeah, I've I've gotten ideas, but I've never said, oh, you know, Daniel, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do this first. <laughs> and hopefully yeah. there's not a, you know, eh, it's the Internet. You might get somebody like that eventually sometime. But like you said, I mean, it's I, I love your organic process. So I love the fact that you're constantly getting feedback. Not only are you constantly getting feedback, but you're kind of marketing it the whole time, too, if it's something you're serious about. Right. I mean, yeah, that's kind of part of the marketing process. Get people talking about <laughs> what, like what's said, potentially I, coming. I, I, I mean, I, I, like I said, I came from the advertising background, so it's. De- I mean, I, I, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a marketing aspect to all of that. Bell of the Ball coming out from Dice Hate Me Games. You want to uh, give a quick description of what that is, since that'll be coming to Kickstarter shortly? Yeah, sure. So uh, Bell of the Ball is kind of a, a light strategy game set in a fictional quasi-Victorian setting in which all the players are hosting a party of their own. That has been that, and that have all been unfortunately scheduled on the same night in the same place. 
So as the guests arrive and they line up at the front door, the players are competing to invite the guests to their own party, kind of play matchmaker and form groups of guests that have incompatible interests, and that's how they score points. Uh, and most points wins, as, as is usually the case with these sort of things. The twist on, on all this is that, uh, the Belle of the Ball, who is actually the character, it was actually a character in the game. She sort of adds some complications. Uh, she sometimes causes little twists, like, uh, she's, there's one thing in the game. The Belle suspects food poisoning. And so any guests that, that have an interest in cheese, the appetizers in the party, they're suddenly can't be scored as part of a group. Or sometimes it's beneficial, like the bell proposes a toast, and so you'll get like one point for every guest that's in your party at that particular time. And the way the gameplay actually works is sort of like, it's what I call line drafting. It's a kind of a mechanic that uh, you may have seen in Small World, the way those race factions kind of come, come down in a line, and you can uh, you can take the first one in the line, or you can pay points to skip uh, skip one and then go to the next one, and or pay points to skip that one and go to the next one. It's kind of like that, and... Uh, it's also, that's also a mechanic that you may have seen in, um, sort of like in guillotine, uh, kind of a classic. But basically what I call line drafting is, you know, when you have a line of things, usually cards, sometimes tiles or, or what have you, and you can take the first thing that's in line for free, or you can pay whatever resource, you know, or trade in things in order to skip up the line. And in Bell of the Ball, there's actually two lines. Uh, one line is, is the guests. Uh, who are represented on cards that have, that have various interests. And you can take, you can invite the first guest in line for free, or you can pay bribes to skip that, uh, that first guest and, uh, go on, go on ahead to the second guest, or go on ahead to the third guest, all the way up to, to the deck. Right next to that is also a line of Bell of the Ball cards. And those are basically the action cards. That, those are the things that add, add twists and, and kind of take that mechanics. Sometimes they give you a little bit of a defensive measure. Sometimes they just benefit you with straight points. But all of it is is kind of interesting thematic elements. Uh, they all tie into this this idea that you're, there's an ongoing party and the bell of the balls is causing mischief throughout the whole thing. Uh, sometimes for your benefit, sometimes not. And so and it's a fun. I mean, honestly, it's a quick, fast, fun game. People kind of pick it up really, really quickly. One of the appealing things is Jackie Davis's art, uh, which ha- I've been previewing on the blog. Yeah, uh, is amazing. It, looks, it looks great. Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, she, she's kind of knocking out that whole Pixar sort of look. Like if Pixar were doing like a Cinderella sort, sort of movie with like, you know, lavish guests at a, at a ball, like this is exactly what that would be. And it looks great. I've seen you've gotten quite a bit of positive feedback on people that are actually getting able, are able to play it. But I, I've, I've seen a bit of theme lashback every once in a while is that something that you kind of took into consideration and and had to weigh whether to continue with this particular theme or try to retheme it or was that never a consideration because this is kind of how you've pictured it all along yeah i had early on some concerns that the theme would be a turnoff to kind of more traditional gamers who i'll be totally honest that's that's probably the the one segment this one the one audience that i have the most contact with and unfortunately i was making this theme that for some was kind of a turnoff i just had to think all right uh do i want to grow the hobby do i want to appeal to and to just kind of preach to the choir or do i want to actually reach out to new gamers to people who don't consider themselves gamers even and find a theme that is going to be uh clever and unusual uh, but also just sort of familiar enough that, that they're going to get a kick out of it. Um, and it's something that'll make them smile just by hearing about it. I love, you know, all those farming games and trading games and stuff that, uh, that, you know, railroad games and, and that kind of thing. But 
if if I'm hearing those themes as a complete you know complete newbie and I, I don't consider myself a gamer or anything at all, if I was that person and I heard the themes that that a lot of these Euro games have, I wouldn't get excited about it. Uh, I love Turn and Taxes, for example, but if you hear the theme uh, that you're you're founding the postal routes of <laughs> yeah. of Germany, you know that's uh, that doesn't quite drive you. But one thing I liked about Bell the Ball's theme is that it's a quick, immediate hook that sets up the players to to be kind of happy at first because hey, we ha- we're we're hosting a party. Oh, they're on the same night, so it, it has that like happy thing, and then suddenly the tension right at, right up right front, and it's an idea that people immediately understand. It doesn't require buy-in uh, of any kind of like fantasy setting or magic or anything like that, but it still has enough strategy. I, I feel that it would appeal to anyone that has a like a desire to actually think while they're playing a game. So this isn't a party game, though it's about parties. <laughs> it's a casual strategy game is how I've been pitching it. Um, it's something that would appeal to people who want to think while they, while they play a game, but also that people who want to laugh while they play a game. It seems like a, a good game to kind of maybe bring in some of the more casual players too. Uh, I know that's kind of one of the things I'm always on the lookout for. I mean, my fiance is more of a casual gamer. She'll try things and, and play certain things. But yeah, if you can approach her with one, with a, a, a game that has a female theme, just like video games, she loves video games. But of course, some of her favorites are when she can choose a female character to associate with. This has a little bit of that going for it as well, where she can immediately associate it with it. Plus, just the like you said, the the light strategy elements. As as long as you're not a heavy, heavy, hardcore Euro gamer or something like that. If you if you are willing to play most games, it will appeal. And it's one of those things where you're not necessarily compromising so much. On you know, kind of like the old okay, I'll play trivial pursuit with you tonight kind of thing you know it's it's something that you'll actually enjoy and i've got several games on my shelf that some of my friends kind of look at me funny until i actually get them to play it and they're like okay yeah i, I wouldn't know uh, the box covered i wouldn't have played this but this is actually a pretty good game and i it, hope that a lot of people are willing to give this a shot because uh feedback that i've seen coming back for you is that it's a it's a good solid game Oh, I'm, I'm hoping so. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's been really heartening. The first really, really positive feedback that I got was uh, actually this year uh, at uh, Unpub 3, uh, which is uh, a, a convention that is exclusively devoted to unpublished games. And, and people just come and play these games. And it's great that there's such support for, uh, for unpublished designers. And, you know, despite having blogged for, for years and kind of working in the industry for a long time, I'm still technically an unpublished designer to, to some to some extent, at least at, at least at time in terms of uh, card games. I do have experience designing, and and I have had published um, a couple storytelling games uh, through Evil Hat. But I was I'm still pretty much an unknown in the card game world and board game world. You know, for all intents and purposes, I, I mean, no one in the industry, in the big time industry, really knows who I am necessarily. So being an unknown, kind of kind of coming into this fresh, I figured. All right, I may as well just go with an unusual theme and and you know kind of play to my strengths, uh, which is apparently absurd themes that are a little with, with kind of thinking mechanics that uh, that explore like one really really focused mechanic. Uh, so I don't do I at least not yet I don't do big box big box games. Uh, I'm not going to make a 90 minute uh, Euro game. I'm going to make a 30 minute light game that you're going to think about while you're doing it, but won't overstay its welcome and probably has some kind of ridiculous theme that is a quick pitch when you're trying to get 
someone who you don't know in a, in a game store to sit down and play your prototype. It, it helps to have a, a, a very like jovial theme. Now, is that kind of your uh, go-to niche? I mean, uh, it, it seems like a lot of a lot of your games are on the lighter side. Uh, is that something that you you strive for? Well, one of the reasons why I kind of uh, drifted away from the role-playing game design field is that. It takes so long to playtest a role-playing game because you you have to go through like a character creation uh, thing and you have to write a whole system and then uh, actually playing a role-playing game typically takes several hours and that's kind of why I the the games that I had released up to up to that point were actually way more influenced by board games um, because there were set time limits and there were turns that you're supposed to take throughout the entire thing and. Uh, it was much more focused on the structure of, of the narrative rather than any kind of statistics or anything like that. And once I realized, okay, this is actually the way I design, this is what I want to do, I, re- I realized, all right, I need to just make card games. I just need to make board games that fit that because that's really the niche that facilitates my desire to iterate really quickly, playtest things in a short time span, and also get multiple plays in in one playtest session because it just it makes it easier to develop. Someday when I'm really big or something, <laughs> I may have the time to actually devote to a, a larger 90 minute, like Agricola kind of, kind of thing. But until that time, I got to iterate fast and design fast and, and uh, hone my own skills, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm still learning. I'm always going to be still learning. And uh, if I kind of focus too much of my time on one big project, I feel like I'm losing time learning other skills that other games could possibly teach me. So you're kind of in the process of not only creating these games for people to enjoy and, and kind of be light strategy, but you're basically still building your tool belt, you feel. Yeah, and actually uh, Chris Norwood said when he playtested Koi Pond a couple months ago, uh, he was saying that he he thinks that, that I tend to design these games that are focused on one mechanic and that, like the games that I make are like one mechanic wide there aren't any like subsystems or anything like that it's all just like hey let's focus on this one mechanic like a scoring system or something like that and home like strip out everything that distracts from this from this thing sure yes it makes a a, a shorter game for sure but that observation i think is is somewhat accurate if just looking at the stuff that i've put out so far with koi pond and bell the ball bell the ball was all about just like focusing on that line drafting mechanic and it took a while to actually find the heart of that, like what I was really going for after those, all those iterations. But really, it was just, all right, there's a line of guests, and you're waiting to get those in line. And everything, every other part of the game is about manipulating that, that line by skipping guests or by controlling the flow of that line, making some things more valuable, like adjusting things. So that was how, how Bell the Ball developed at around, around that one core mechanic. Whereas Koi Pond was about this one particular kind of scoring system that eventually kind of had this, this Koi Pond theme uh, wrapped around it, which, which did suggest some secondary mechanics. But I feel like that's, that's what I'm doing is like each one of these games is sort of me diving deep into one idea and seeing how much can I pull out of this? Like how, how much, how deep does that well go? And, uh, speaking of Koi Pond, uh, which, uh, is over on Drive Through Cards, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, I actually had a listener ask me to basically uh, have you explain kind of why you went with drive-through with most of your independent card games uh, versus some of the other 
places that are out there for indie game designers to utilize. Sure. So the, I guess they just kind of wanted to know your thought process on on picking that one. Sure. So, so far, I only have one game on drive-thru cards right now. I thought, well, I guess not through you. Ha- isn't Happy Birthday Robot over there? Or But that's from Evil Hat put it there, or no? Am I thinking wrong? Uh, Happy Birthday Robot is, is through Evil Hat, and, and uh, yeah, so that, that's for sale online right now as a PDF. Uh, Dove, Pilgrims of the Flying Temple, and Happy Birthday Robot were my first two uh, storytelling games. And those are published by Evil Hat, and they're available in PDF format right now. They're they're unfortunately out of print because they're really expensive to produce. So they're on the drive through RPG side of things. Yeah, yeah they're okay. on that. that that's what I was thinking. But actually, it was that it was knowing their experience and knowing how much infrastructure they had already set up that gave me confidence and much more interest in actually pursuing self publishing and sales through their card game division that I heard heard was starting up towards the end of last year, which was a nice, nice bit of a coincidence when I was already thinking about uh, kind of leaving one, one profession and going profession and going to another profession. It would be nice to be able to, the way I design, uh, as fast as I design, uh, have stuff that I can put out directly to people. I design fast, and unfortunately, the traditional models of producing any kind of game product are really, really slow and for some products, that makes sense because you want. Uh, I feel like there is a still there is still a lot of value in having a professional game company that uh, that publishes games and has experience and, and they know what products are going to sell and what games are are just good and and they're going to find an audience. There's still such a place for that skill set for all sorts of game products. But I could also recognize that some products are so small that it may not be commercially viable for a publisher to fit it into their schedule, uh, which is kind of unusual to think about. Like, oh, it's small. It should be able to just slide right in. But in, but in fact, I mean, it just takes as much time to produce a, you know, a, a boxed small card game as it would a big, huge production. Because you have to, you know, first produce it overseas, you know, have that shipped over, deal with customs, deal with warehousing and fulfillment and, and all, of, all of this stuff that is not at all related to game design. And I had some experience with this having kickstarted Doe and Happy Birthday Robot and also uh, this uh, set of custom dice that I that I designed called uh, Writer's Dice. I had experience with a lot of this stuff already to, to a small scale. And I knew right away that even, even the cursory exposure I had to that whole system was not something I wanted to take on myself. So that's why I didn't go to Kickstarter, for, for one thing, though I have had very, very early experience for, uh, with Kickstarter before a lot of, a lot of these campaigns that, that made, you know, millions of dollars, uh, came out. I saw those campaigns over the last year and I was like, oh man, I feel like I'm missing out. But at the same time, I realized there are a lot of projects that I would not be able to afford a success because it would take up so much of my time and so much, it would be such a headache that I would end up kind of almost resenting it. And I didn't want to resent something that, that I had worked on. So the reason I went with drive-thru and drive-thru RPG was because it was this nice middle ground between uh, just releasing a print-and-play thing, but also not going full-on uh, Kickstarter and finding all the infrastructure and fulfillment and all that stuff. And also it was a nice alternative, uh, honestly, to, to going with a commercial publisher or a traditional publisher because I knew I could fit into my schedule. I, I wouldn't have to uh, wait a year to find out whether the game was actually approved and, and would be accepted into the lineup. And then a year to, to four years later, when it would actually have time to be produced, the games I design are just so kind of light and simple that I just like, 
there's there's simply no need for for me to wait that long for for a game that is as simple and elegant as uh, Koi Pond, for example. Uh, I thought Koi Pond was was a nice option for testing out the waters, which I took cards. And I saw that they had the storefront already set up. I knew they had experience selling stuff online, and I had seen a couple examples of their card quality already. Uh, I knew their print quality was good, and I honestly had I had such really great service from uh, from their backend staff that I, I knew all right this this is a this is a done deal. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there, and quite possibly it'll be the start of a longer relationship. And uh, as as far as I as far as I'm I'm concerned, it will be. Uh, so I am planning on the first expansion for Koi Pond to come out at some point. <laughs> okay. And, and I'm also tinkering with some other games, knowing that they're probably going to be cards and I want to keep them as cards and probably uh, produced through and, and distributed through uh, drive through cards. Uh, so that's kind of influencing the way I design these days a little bit too. A lot of the stuff that you work on, the, the smaller stuff, do you do most of the art for that? That's one of the things that uh, I am doing that I'm considering more of uh, when I look at what theme I'm going to use for a game, I have to think, all right, if I go with this theme, can I produce these graphics and this and this art by myself? Because if I can, that'll greatly reduce the costs that, that I incur for a product that is going to be going to have low sales by, by a lot of people's standards over the long haul. These games are not going to be blockbuster Kickstarter successes uh, on that scale where you have you know, hundreds and hundreds of backers who are pre- essentially pre-ordering a full retail cost item. These are going to be sales in the, in the double digits, uh, over the course, of like, you know, every month with gradual interest and, and with steady maintenance and consistent exposure, uh, over, over the long term, supported by new releases that, that come out periodically to support the initial product and also to drive further interest, uh, in, in previous releases. So it's a very much a long-term plan, and I knew that the budgets for these things are going to have to be pretty slim. So also the other reason why I went Koi Pond as the first release was because I knew I would be able to produce the art myself. Now, I don't consider myself an illustrator, and I don't consider myself an artist necessarily. <laughs> it's just I could manage to make these images in particular myself in Photoshop, and that's really the, the main reason why I, I, I stuck with that theme over the long term. Do you have any desire to be in the publishing realm yourself publishing other people's stuff i don't think so yeah or or even just hardcore your own stuff i mean just kind of be self-published completely do you, do you have that desire not this time i mean i, I definitely considered it and I, and I have my own company i have smart play games and that's the sort of the imprint that i use as a uh as as a brand to uh, to sell uh, licenses to game companies and so so for example doe and happy birthday robot are with evil hat but also they're kind of licensed from smart play games and uh on drive through cards koi pond is released by smart play games to that extent yes i would be interested in, in publishing but if, if it means me kind of setting up all those connections with all those printers and, and shippers and all, all that overhead that, that it takes to actually send stuff to retail and into game stores and everything. I'm, I'm honestly just not that interested. That's kind of what I was getting. I mean, there's, we've had a select few individuals that were like, yeah, I want to do both sides. I've had one individual that's come on and said, I don't want to design. I just want to publish. <laughs> but the majority of people we talk to is, you know, uh, I really, I want to do design. Uh, I don't want to deal with the number side and and the financial side and all that kind of stuff. So it's always kind of interesting to hear anybody that's doing any kind of self-publishing, if that's really the route they want to go or if that, you know, it's just, 
uh, an interim kind of thing? Because I know some people will self-publish while still kind of looking for a publisher and all that good stuff. So I just thought I'd uh, see where you stood on the whole deal. It's kind of funny because um, actually the financial part of it is not something I'm I'm as intimidated by. It's more the logistical thing that uh, that I find like, eh. <laughs> which, is, which is kind of I think m- maybe I don't I don't know how how common that is, but I'm actually interested in seeing the analytics. I, I like seeing the the traffic that uh, that I get on, for example, on drive through cards. I like seeing the numbers that go there. I like seeing uh, how many click throughs I get uh, when I tweet a thing at a particular hour or whatnot. That may just be again coming from, from the advertising background and, and kind of being obsessed with statistics and and seeing how I can improve SEO and all that stuff. Uh, and, and honestly, to be honest, I mean a lot of what goes into me testing out or or, or choosing a uh, a title for a game is is the SEO too. Like I got to make sure that there isn't already a, a koi pond card game out there. And how clever can I be with a pun if it's something if it's something that would be a little bit different than what people would actually type? You know, I got I got to work out all those little intricate things, sort of tangential to the actual game design. So some some of that's your marketing background, but are you sure you're not also uh, some IT background there? Because talking about analytics and all that stuff, there, there's a quite a bit of crossover. You'd be surprised. Yeah, there is. I suppose there is. You're right. I mean, you you gotta have gotta have that information on the advertising side too. But mm-hmm. uh, usually, somebody that wants to deep dive into numbers is, is someone like me. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't say that that I necessarily know what what I'm doing. I mean, I just like seeing that, seeing the numbers and, and like, all right, I, I guess I shouldn't be posting links at 6 a.m. in the morning on, on, on the East Coast. I, I'm getting a lot more traffic when I when I post stuff at like 10 a.m. or or in the afternoon. You kind of already answered this one, but this was a question I, I had for you or that I thought of earlier. Basically, it sounds like your bigger desire is on the game design versus art creation. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, which is kind of funny because I, I'm not sh- I'm not sure how how common knowledge it is uh, about what an art director does technically, and it's kind of this odd thing where I went to art school and you know I I took drawing classes and all that stuff, but I know I'm not that great of an illustrator. But the service that I can provide is is identifying all right, this is the the best artist for this particular project, and given the advertising background, I can also say like this artist will help sell a product. This is something that, that will actually drive interest and you know catch the eye on a shelf and that kind of thing. Product design is, is the stuff that, that I really like and, and I kind of have an interest in and where that melds into designing covers for books or designing the box tops for a board game. Uh, it's all essentially the same craft. It's all communicating an idea as, as clearly as possible to people who, in, in the commercial space, who are going to be interested in buying that product. And partly... Where I'm coming from in, in that is uh, finding, I, I love just kind of building up a contact list of all different types of, types of artists. But in particular, I keep on seeking out artists that uh, are not already in the gaming business mm, okay. so that I can get some kind of fresh blood. In particular, I, I, want, I want to get more diversity into uh, into the uh, the art business and gaming business in general. Part of that uh, was expressed in, the, uh, in this uh, sort of a foundation not not a charity but just sort of the, this uh, project i guess that tracy hurley and i uh, co-founded called the prismatic art collection that was where we basically uh, we did a kickstarter and she she was really running the show on this one i, I was kind of just providing backup as art direction but we are at, we were actively seeking out uh, female and artists from different backgrounds to pay them basically commissioning art from them to get art 
of uh, women heroes and heroes of color and build up a library of, of artwork that we would, that, you know, we, we would fully pay proper, you know, adequate rates uh, to all these artists, basically for the purpose of releasing the art on a Creative Commons license so that anyone can use it. And our goal there was was kind of twofold, was to find and promote artists that we thought were really, really great and needed more exposure, but at the same time also paying them an adequate rate and also, you know, widening the pool of available arts for anyone who, like me, can't draw and can't, <laughs> can't always afford to, to hire a great artist on a project. I would be, that you know, a little bit of self-interest in that too, but... Yeah, I... I got to admit that uh, my biggest roadblock on any design is always that I I have no artistic talent at all. I I can get to a certain point and then it's like, well, now it needs to look pretty, so I best I guess I better go on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where I always get to. It's like, all right, well, this is play tested and everybody seems to enjoy it, and now oh, it should look pretty now. Okay, what's the next idea I have? <laughs> yeah, the um the thing that I I learned to use i try to use it effectively i don't i don't know if i always do but the public domain and free resources available to you online from like library of congress and things like that are very very handy there's a site called uh, gameicons.net i think it's .net yeah it is .net i love that site <laughs> yeah uh, and it's you know it's free creative commons game game related icons and it's fantastic resource for anyone who's prototyping card games as as often as i am cuz i can i can just I don't have to worry about coming up with an icon for wheat all the time. I can just <laughs> pull the wheat icon down and, and get really, really focused on the actual proper game design. But also, it I think it's okay for a prototype to not look that great. Because at first, when I was starting to do this you know, years and years ago, I spent a lot of time making these prototypes that looked great, but it also made the game seem more finished than it actually was. And it led to these expectations in playtests that uh, that the game was more finished than it actually was and and sort of increased the disappointment when the game was really <laughs> broken. So it was actually better that I started shifting over to just really stark black and white prototypes that were, for one thing, easier to print uh, at home for most people and made them more accessible. And it also really communicated that this is still a work in progress. It's not done yet. And, uh, and so it set expectations appropriately. So, do you have uh, anything else on the the gaming side the the uh, that you're actually working on right now that you want to share? Oh gosh, um, uh, well, like I said, I'm laying out uh, the Firefly role playing game product. Yes, that has been a, a fun experience. Uh, I can't I can't say too much about it, but right, it's new for me working on a project of this exposure. I was working on the uh, the Marvel role playing games too, but I didn't get a chance to actually have anything published uh, before, uh, unfortunately, the license yeah. negotiations kind of fell through. So this is going to be the first time I'll actually have a high-profile project actually going to press, and, and that is of this magnitude. And I'm, you know, of course I'm scared to death <laughs> about it, but hopefully people dig it. At the same time, I'm also working on a, um, I have a uh, Princess Bride card game that was picked up by Game Salute. Right, so yeah, the, when they put the call out for the Princess Bride license, okay. Yeah, um, I'm tentatively calling it Princess Bride Battle of Wits. It's uh, basically inspired by the uh, the Battle of Wits scene with the poison cup in Princess yeah, Yes. It's sort of loosely inspired by that. Basically, like I, when I started off, I was trying to design a game that was exactly like that scene, but it's a really difficult thing to make game mechanics out of. <laughs> so I kind of just kind of took the spirit of that scene and, and build up more broad, actually more fully fleshed out game around that idea. So you still feel like you're 
presenting these dilemmas to to the other players and they're having to kind of like double think about what it is that you're actually trying to do but the actual gameplay of it uh, in, in thematic terms is more broad than just that one scene and it's a lot of fun i mean i've been testing it pretty much i've been developing it for about six months now and uh when i pitched it uh, in its current form to game salute in person at pax east uh they really dug it they pick, uh, they signed on and they, they picked it up and uh, I'm not sure what the, what the release date or any kind of development cycle is on that, because uh, this is really one of the first times that I've actually sold a product to another publisher and where they completely take the ball and, and run with it. So they do all the art direction and they do all the graphic design and stuff. And I have no involvement with that, which is a weird experience. <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, the overall concept will go over well in our game group because that scene gets... Uh rehashed every time we play any type of game that has that kind of scenario oh. in it. Yeah, and, and hopefully it does capture it does capture that and kind of elicit that that reaction too. I hope so. <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I'm hoping that I can do more of this, honestly, because I have I have I'm actually doing a work for hire project for for another license that that unfortunately I, I can't speak too much about. But it's a uh, sort of an espionage themed game. And that is something that I'm, I'm kind of curious about too. Is is the way you can incorporate secrecy and bluffing into game mechanics is something that I'm exploring right now with that that design. So I mean, a lot of like I said, I mean, a lot of the games that I'm designing are just really focused on like one central emotion or a theme or a mechanic, uh, and exploring that as deeply as I can without any kind of distractions around it. And that makes for short games, but also makes for kind of fun games that you, that you may want to replay. And. Go back to my question of, do you ever sleep? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you've got all of these wonderful little projects going on uh, that you're working on, but you also have a class that you're looking to teach at the end of July, correct? Yes, that's right, the class. (laughs) July 28th, I think, is when you set it at the start? Is that if I remember right? Yeah, it's going to be a series of pre-recorded videos. um, That It's a project-based class, so... We're going to be really focused on actually producing stuff. I am going to be teaching how to prototype and design game cards. And I, I want to be specific about this being this is not a game design course. This is basically a, a card design course. So I'm not going to be teaching necessarily the, uh, the actual details or theory of actually game design. Um, that's actually another course that's going to be taught by Grant Rodiak uh, later on in August. Okay. That's also on Skillshare. My thing is going to be really about the production side. And also, if you're just getting started in card uh, card games and, and designing the, uh, those components, how you can uh, produce full, complete decks with as minimal work as possible. Uh, and, and this uh, this is a InDesign-focused course, basically sharing some of the techniques that I've learned uh, from when I was just starting out and I thought I had to lay out every card individually and make every, make edits to the whole thing one by one to where I am now, where I can uh, just make an edit to a spreadsheet and then import that into InDesign. And then with just a click of a button, I have exported an entire deck of like 90 cards with as minimal work as, as possible. So that's what I'll be teaching. Uh, starting off with basic prototyping, teaching you how to uh, lay out a playing card deck, then onto like Euro cards, and then onto something more complex like a collectible card game layout. And where can people find that? Uh, that is on Skillshare.com. Um, if you just search, if you just search for, uh, design card, design game cards for tabletop or design cards for tabletop games, I think it's what it's called. Uh, you also, you can also find that on my blog. I'll, I'll, uh, 
just yep. search on my blog and you'll find it there too. Well, I'll make sure to include a link in the show notes as well for, for yes. just the class. Check the show notes. Yes. Show notes here. So, and again, that starts July 28th, right? Yeah, that starts July 28th okay. and, um, and then it'll be a series, it'll be a series of videos starting, starting at that point. Okay. And if you enroll, you know, at any time, you'll have access to all those videos. You don't have to, there isn't a, uh, time limit or whatever. You can just enroll at any time. And, uh, once you've done so, uh, you'll have access to all those videos once they're all done, which they're not all done yet. Well, I've, uh, I've, I've taken a whole lot of your time here <laughs> oh, and I, I completely appreciate you having this conversation with me, but is there anything that you want to make sure we cover before we uh, end this conversation? Well, uh, look for Bell of the Ball, uh, later this summer on Kickstarter. And hopefully I'll see, I'll see some of your, uh, listeners in class later at the end of the month. I just, I, again, thanks. Thanks for having this conversation with me. I, I know we kind of did it really last minute and really fast, <laughs> but uh, on the other end of that, I'm kind of glad we did because this, this, these are the kind of conversations I like to have. I don't, I like it a little more natural. I don't want everything, you know, pre-planned out <laughs> uh, whenever possible. And I think uh, you've given some wonderful things for our listeners and especially our indie designer listeners that I know we have uh, some things to think about and chew on, I think. Well, I hope so. All right. So thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. I've got a hundred thousand comics carefully collected and all the action figures for them carefully selected. The posters and promotions for each superhero movie. My ringtone's Frank Berger and Ash saying, I've got each permutation of the Xbox and PlayStation. My anime collection is the finest in the nation.